It's a great joy that we meet together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our great, sovereign, creating, redeeming God in charge of all of life and all of the affairs of life, and we are His sons and His daughters. Today it's going to be our joy to end this particular service in a meeting around the Lord's table and celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection, the triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ in an observance of the Lord's Supper. Delighted that you're with us today. Thank you for joining us. May this be a time of great refreshing and blessing. We continue as a nation under the assault of a virus which is controlling so much of all of the affairs of the entire world in which we are living. We have again the invitation of our God, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. The answer to everything is in God. Science is okay, but God is the ultimate answer to everything. So we turn our hearts and minds to Him. Again, may this be a day of great refreshing, joy, instruction, challenge, blessing, and maybe for some a day of great salvation. Nick, uh, John chapter 3, I want to say Nicodemus chapter 3. John chapter 3, <laughs> verses 1 through 16. Let's read there. Uh, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then that famous verse everyone knows, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. The Lord Jesus himself is the central focus 
of any legitimate biblical observance of the Lord's Supper. The focus is not on physical bread or on physical grape juice. The focus is on the person of Jesus Christ. And these material symbols bring our minds into connection with a special aspect of, the, of his work on the cross that brought us into eternal life through faith in him. Jesus Christ is the focus. The person of Jesus Christ is the focus. Beginning in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ the Messiah, beginning in Genesis 3.15, we have the prophecy of a coming one who is going to destroy Satan. And Jesus Christ, of course, will fulfill this ultimately and completely. So the Lord Jesus is the central focus. There is a wonderful verse that is used often when we experience the death of loved ones. It is a text that comes out of a personal instruction of the Lord Jesus at the time when he was just about ready, just about prepared for his own crucifixion and then leaving this world and going back to the Father and discussing these things with his disciples left them in a very, very troubled state. There were a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of issues of life that were going on as far as their thinking was concerned. And uh, the King James says, let not your heart be troubled. Well, the word troubled is a kind of a strong word. It means to be shaken up, agitated. Don't let your heart be agitated. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he talks about the fact that in his father's house are many mansions. These are dwelling places. We'll explain that in just a bit. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now he tells them why he's going. Why is he going to leave and go back to the Father? Well, he said, I'm going to go to prepare a place. A place, a place for you to reside, a place for you to dwell. I go to prepare a place for you. Now he said, look, if I go and do that, there's got to be a reason, be a reason for this. If I go and do this... I'm just not going to do this. I'm going to return. I'm going to come again. I'm going to take you, receive you unto myself, in order that where I am, there you may be also. You know, Jesus prayed to the Father, Father, I desire those whom you have given me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. That's the goal of the whole thing. It's not the American dream. It's the heavenly dream, much greater than the American dream. So I'm going to return, I'm going to take you to myself so that where I am you can be there too. Now he made a statement, whither, where I go, you know, and, and the way, how to get there, you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we, we know not, we don't know where you're going, whither thou goest, how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me, or except through me. Now it's very interesting when you get to the religious world, the focus is on all kinds of things. It's on works, it's on sacraments, it's, it's, it's on all kinds of different things. But not so, not so here with the Lord Jesus. The focus on heaven, the focus on being a part of the heavenly kingdom, all all goes through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we observe the Lord's Supper at the close of this service, the focus is because He came, because 
he assumed flesh because he died. His body was crucified in a cruel, cruel death, crucifixion judgment. And because his blood was shed in atonement for our sins, and because after all of this in great triumph, he rose from the dead. Because of this, this is what makes possible the hope, actually the certainty of eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. So it's all focusing on him. Jesus Christ is the point of reference for everything. His personal being encompasses everything. And in him I have everything. He is the center of all personal hope and trust. Now, question to you. When you think of going to heaven, I were to ask you, how is it you hope to get there? What would be your answer? Some would say, well, I'm trying to keep the commandments. Some would say, well, I go to church regularly. Some would say, I pray to God every day. Some say, I confess my sins every day. Someone would say, I partake of the sacraments faithfully. Ah, but Jesus didn't say the sacraments are the way. The sacraments are the truth. The sacrament, he said, I am the way. I am the way. So the question is, do you have him? And we'll come to that in just a moment. So when Jesus said, I'm the way, truth and life, I'm the way. Well, what is the way? The West, the, a way is a destination. Is how you get to a destination. I am the way to God. Really, I'm the way to truth. I'm the way to life. I'm the way to everything you need genuinely in life. I am the way to God. Westcott says the way by which the two worlds were united so that men may pass from one to the other, the temporal world and the eternal world. How do we get from the temporal world in which we live to the eternal world? How do we pass from what? What is the way to get there? Tell me that if you're going to take sacraments, that is going to get you from one world to the next? How? 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 How will it change you? How will it give you life? How will it make the mortal immortal, the corruptible incorruptible, which takes place in the resurrection? It's all in Jesus Christ. I am the way. I'm the way to God. I'm the way to life. I'm the way to eternity, to eternal life, if you please. Secondly, he's talking about the truth, the foundation of, of all that we believe, the foundation of our faith, of our trust. I am the truth, the truth about God, the truth about everything else. The amazing thing is that they didn't understand. Jesus said, he that's seen me has seen the Father. He was God. He, he bore the character of God, the very character of God. When they looked at Jesus, they were looking at God. When they heard what Jesus was saying, God was speaking. I am the truth. You trust me. You look to me. I am the one who reveals God to you. We look to that which Jesus spoke as the foundation of all reality. At all, he's the one that created things. It was the word of Jesus Christ that created the world. All things were made by him, the Lord Jesus. And apart from him, nothing has come into being that exists today. He is the source of all reality. And if you really want to know the truth about anything, you can't know it unless you know him, because as it relates to him, you know the truth about everything. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you, you know nothing. You don't know who you are. 
You're his creature. He created us personally. And that on the cross died for us in a redemptive capacity to redeem that which he had created from the corruption of sin. Absolutely amazing. Westcott says the truth in which is summed up all that is eternal and absolute in the changing phenomenon of finite being. Kostenberger says, what is more, he is the truth and the life. That is truth and life par excellence. That is truth and life better or more than all others of the same kind. You cannot know, and we are living in, in a day when the progressives seem to rule the thought processes, the academic world and the media world and the political world, and they are trying to establish what is right and Jesus Christ is totally excluded. And may I say, when the Creator is excluded from your system of truth, you have a system of error. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. You cannot know truth if you do not know the Creator of truth. This is amazing to me. And how you can figure this out without knowing the One who has brought all of these things into being and into existence. He's Jesus Christ is our destination, he's our way to God, he's our foundation, he's the truth about God. And then he says the life, and there's, there's this word regeneration, which means to take something that's dead and renew life in it. We read about Nicodemus, the scripture this morning. Nicodemus was a religious man, a devout religious man, an intelligent religious man, a religious leader, and literally in the Greek text, Jesus said, are you the teacher? He was one of the chief instructors or teachers among the Jewish people of his day. Are you the teacher? And you don't know these things. You see, Nicodemus did not know Christ. He did not know the truth. He did not know the way to God. And, and, and Jesus said, look, Nicodemus, unless you were born again, there's something dead about your spirit unless you are given life in me. You see, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born again, rebirthed, given a second birth. We have a physical birth, of course, and because we are born literally in that first birth, dead spiritually, we need a new life, a regeneration of life in Jesus Christ. It's a mysterious thing, Jesus said, well, look, you, you can't see the wind, you don't know from where it's coming, you don't know where it's going, but there is something about this matter of the work of the Holy Spirit of God when you connect with Jesus Christ and receive him as your Savior, there is a brand new life that is birthed in you at that point in time. Have you ever been born again? Genuinely. I'm not asking you if you've had some kind of an emotional religious experience. There are lots of those around. I am asking you, have you personally, by faith, invited the Son of God to become your personal Savior and Lord? And in so doing, have you received new life in him? That's the question. Have you been born again? This is not some kind of a quacky religious concept. Why is it that men are born dead to God and alive to sin? That is a universal experience, human experience. And when we are born again, we are born alive to God, and then we die to sin. It's an amazing, transforming experience of life, but it comes through the person now, not, not the intellectual belief in the fact about Jesus. It comes by receiving the person of Jesus Christ, by faith 
trusting his death, burial, and resurrection for your sins, his work upon the cross, a personal confidence that what he did can save you, and you are willing to receive him because of who he is, the Son of the living God, the resurrected Son of the living God, the ascended and the seated at the right hand of God, Son of God. And he is able to save you from your sin. Faith and confidence and receiving him is the, what we call regeneration. It's the quickening that enables me to relate to God, and it's the triumph of life over death. Interesting how John gives us this truth in 1 John chapter 5. And again, everything focuses on the person of Christ again. It's not the sacraments. Hear me. It's not belonging to a religious organization. It's not getting baptized. It's not going through religious rituals. It's not having a, a formal prayer in your life day by day. It is not just religious knowledge. It goes beyond that because John said... 1 John 5, 12, the one who has the Son, he who has the Son, that is, that is a personal possession of Jesus Christ. Do you remember in Revelation, John wrote these words, Behold, I, Jesus, stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. John says, the one who has the Son has eternal life. And that's the context in which this is given. The one who has the Son, the one who has a personal possession of the person of Jesus Christ, that one has eternal life. And then he takes the opposite of this, and he says this, the one who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. Now that's the word of God. If you have Jesus Christ, a personal possession of the Son of God as your Savior, you have eternal life. If you don't, it doesn't matter what else you have. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't matter how good a life you live. It doesn't matter how much better or worse you are than anybody else. The one who does not have the Son does not have eternal life. God says that in his word. So the challenge today is, have you received the Son of God? Have you opened the door of your heart and life? Have you invited him? Have you received him? And have you placed all of your faith and trust into him? Taking it out of everything else just to trust in him, not to trust in your works, not to trust in religious experiences that you've had, but to trust only in the person of Jesus Christ, God's beloved and wonderful Son. And when you've done that, the one who has the Son, John says, has eternal life. Now, may I ask you a question? If God says you have eternal life, do you have it or don't you? Amen. Huh? And if God says you don't have eternal life, do you have it or don't you? God's made a statement now. And God says those who have his Son have eternal life. Those who do not have his Son do not have eternal life. So as Jesus is talking with his disciples, he said, I'm the way to God, I'm the truth about God, and I'm the life. I'm the regenerated life, the, the rebirth into the kingdom of God that you need. I am personally those things. 
And nobody, nobody, but nobody, Jesus said, can ever get to the Father except through me. Now we're going to we're going to take the bread and the cup at the close of this service, but that is not receiving Christ. There's no way that the bread and cup can get me into the kingdom. Nobody comes to the Father except through the person of Jesus Christ. Not the sacraments, not the observances, but the person of Jesus Christ. That is the focus. And it's very, very plain. Nobody can reach God the Father in any sense of that word by any other means, religious, sacramental, good works, or otherwise. Now there's another text that almost parallels this, but it comes at this from a different, totally different dynamic, if you please. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit, not only did Jesus point to himself as the way, the truth, and the life, but the Holy Spirit does the same thing. The Holy Spirit does the same thing. And in John 16, and I will read the New American Standard here, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world. That is, he will prove to be guilty. He will prove the world to be guilty concerning three things, sin, and righteousness and judgment. And then he gives the basis of these three convictions. Number one, in verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe, notice the text there, in me, not in the sacraments, not in the church, not in religion, uh, not in what is in vogue, in me. Notice again, the Holy Spirit's getting very personal here, in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. All right, so the Holy Spirit is focusing here on Jesus Christ. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And that is what Jesus Christ personally did in his work on the cross. So the work of the Holy Spirit focuses in on the person of Jesus Christ again. As, as we, again, as we observe the Lord's Supper at the end of this service, Today, the focus is going to be on the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's where Jesus put the focus. That is where the Holy Spirit puts the focus. Now, when he comes, King James says he will reprove the world. New American Standard says he will convict the world, uh, which means prove it to be guilty. Prove it to be guilty. And uh, so to give you just a little better understanding, and I hope maybe your mind is alert enough now to, to take just a little heavy paragraph here. This will help you. Uh, the idea, uh, Westcott says this, the idea of conviction is complex. It invites, it involves the conceptions, number one, of authoritative examination. I have a daughter working in the legal world. When things get to court, they get examined, but they do so on an authoritative, authoritative basis. It's not hearsay, it's facts, it's authority. You have to have weighty evidence in the court. So, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That means he is going to bring us before the throne of, of God, and he's not, going to, he's, he's not going to accept this stuff, well, I tried or I thought. He's going to say, now look, you had my word, Jesus Christ came, why did you substitute something else for him? There's going to be an authoritative examination of your reason of faith if you have one. 
And if you don't, you're going to be in real trouble. And it's all going to be centered about Jesus Christ. There's going to be an authoritative examination. Notice the next part of Westcott's definition, unquestionable proof. The idea here is that the proof that is, that is presented is so convincing that, that, that one cannot deny it. It becomes undeniable because of the convincing nature of the proof. All right? It's unquestionable proof. There is decisive judgment and there is punitive power. All of this is involved. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, the helper, really another good word for the helper is the one who enables us. He's the enabler. He's the helper. When he comes, he's going to convict the world. He's going to do this process in the hearts of sinners. He's going to convince them. He's going to convince them that only Jesus Christ can save them. And he's going to give them reason to believe that to where they cannot deny it. They can reject it or accept it. But it cannot be denied because the Spirit of God is going to make it very plain in their hearts and in their minds. If I read on to Westcott's definition here, whatever the final issue may be, he who convicts another places the truth of the case in dispute in a clear light before him so that it must be seen and acknowledged as truth. He who then rejects the conclusion which this exposition involves rejects it with his eyes open and at his peril. Truth, seen as truth, carries with it condemnation to all who refuse to welcome it. My question to you today, dear friend, if you're not a believer, if you have not been born again, my question to you is this, will you open your heart and mind and let God reveal himself to you and bring you to himself by faith in Jesus Christ? Are you open to that? Now, you can't change your life, but God can. And the question is, are you willing for God to move into your life and to make a dramatic change in your life, to bring you into spiritual life, rebirth in Jesus Christ, and a new life in Him? That would be the question. So, in this text of Scripture, the world is placed on trial. Jesus would soon be traced on, placed on trial for the judgment of our sins. But following the work of the cross, the world will be placed on trial concerning its response to the gospel message. This is very, very interesting. Now, I've got to move right along. I've got to watch the clock here and move along. What is the greatest sin? The greatest sin is because they believe not in me. You see? Of sin because they believe not in me. Without this conviction by the Holy Spirit, such men actually have a pride of intellectual superiority in refusing to believe on Jesus. Have you noted the arrogance of people who don't believe in Jesus? Have you noted their arrogance? And the Spirit of God comes to convict them and say, Now look, you can be haughty and proud, you can be whatever you want, but when the judgment comes down to it, the one who created you is going to be your judge you're going to face Jesus Christ at the judgment. Then what are you going to say? Then what are you going to do? Because that's reality. The world sins specifically. Specifically it sins because it does not believe into Christ. And the, 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 the 
preposition here means that you take all of your faith and confidence and trust out of everything and you place it in God's Messiah and God's appointed Savior, Jesus Christ. Kostenberger says the world masquerades as righteous and suppresses any evidence to the contrary. And such behavior requires the Holy Spirit to expose its guilt. Men are not condemned. Now hear me. Nobody, but nobody, no, no, but nobody goes to hell because they're a sinner. I'm pausing. You heard me right. Nobody goes to hell because they're a sinner. They go to hell because in their pride and arrogance, they refuse to accept God's appointed Savior, Jesus Christ, and his death, burial, and resurrection for their personal sins on the cross because they refuse God's remedy that's why people go to hell not 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 because they are sinners how sinful a man is and you're going to hear me right listen carefully how sinful a man is is irrelevant it's what you do with Jesus Christ that is everything yes the world's worst sinner can receive righteousness in a moment of time by trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. The world's most noble human being can die and face eternal judgment in hell because he refuses God's remedy for his personal need. Nobody goes to hell because they're sinner. They go to hell because they do not connect with Jesus Christ. Because God, in his great heart of love, loved the world. That was the end of our scripture lesson this morning. He gave his uniquely begotten son. And then you think that God will not be offended if you, if you make light of your need of his uniquely begotten son? Who personally gave his life. No man takes my life from me. I give it up of myself. I lay it down. The shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And he does this and you don't like it, or you don't want to accept it, or you want to live life on your terms and not God's terms, and you think you're going to make a way to God, bypassing God's way to God? Men are not condemned because they're sinners, but because they refuse to embrace salvation in Jesus Christ. He's the only one whom God has provided for that purpose. He's the greatest example, and he's in heaven, and he can't be seen anymore. And his, he reflected and demonstrated the righteousness of God. And when he spoke, God was speaking. And he was indeed the righteousness of God. And he had the power to impart the righteousness of God. Of sin because they believe on me concerning righteousness. Because I go to the Father and you see me no more. God vindicated his son. And God reversed the verdict of the world. The world said, crucify him. God said, no, 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 he's not guilty of sin. He took your sin, and he died because of your sin, not his own sin. You can't make Jesus Christ wrong. You are the one who's wrong. He died for you, and you can't see him anymore. He is God's standard of righteousness. He's, only, he's God's only provision for righteousness. And you have the greatest assurance of judgment, of 
Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged literally, in the Greek text it, it means having as having been already judged, means stands condemned. And what Jesus is saying here is this. You and I are in one of two kingdoms. If we're in the kingdom of darkness, we need to understand that the head of that kingdom of darkness is already having been judged. The outcome is settled. He stands condemned, and everyone in his kingdom is stands condemned with him. Everyone who is a part of this world order headed by Satan will ultimately participate in his judgment. Hear me. You can't take sides against the kingdom of God in your life, in your choice concerning Jesus Christ, without going all the way into its judgment at the end. You begin with a world system, with a pagan, ungodly world system. You continue in that system. You devote your life to that system. And then you expect that you're going to have an outcome different than that whole system. As if God is going to lose and Satan is going to win. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. I'm begging you today. Open your heart to the Spirit of God and His work. Because everyone that is lined up in life in this kingdom of darkness is going to undergo the same judgments, the same destruction in hell as the leader of this kingdom. Serious stuff. Now there's a great salvation for you in Jesus Christ. I have here a glorious invitation. And as our men or pastors are coming, if you'll join me here shortly, please, for our observance of the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. That word mansions is a difficult word. It's a difficult word to explain. Kostenberger has a wonderful explanation, a wonderful explanation in his commentary. In Jesus' day, many dwelling units were combined to form an extended household. It was customary for sons to add to their father's house once married, so that the entire estate grew into a large compound called in the, in the Latin insula, centered around a communal courtyard. The image used by Jesus may also have conjured up notions of luxurious Greco-Roman villas, complete with numerous terraces and buildings situated among shady gardens with an abundance of trees and flowing waters. Jesus' listeners may have been familiar with this kind of setting from the Herodian palaces in Jerusalem, Tiberias, and Jericho. Jesus thus conveys to his followers a vision of future heavenly living that surpasses even that enjoyed by the most exalted ruler or wealthy person of that day. In my Father's house are many estates. All combined as a part of God's communal family of saints in a kingdom to come. Not a separate mansion apart from the rest of all the mansions, but, but a beautiful estate in the villa of the saints of God with the family of God Jesus Christ in the center of all of this. And the glorious invitation is, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. 
receive this wonderful, wonderful Savior. Just come into agreement concerning your sins. Settle this on God's terms and say, look now, God, you're right and I'm wrong. That's repentance. God's right and I'm wrong. Okay? It's a simple matter. And it's a hard matter because my pride says, God's wrong and I'm wrong. No, no, no. God's right. I'm wrong. My sins are wrong. And God has provided in the death, burial, and resurrection of his son a way that I can be changed from the inside out. I can be rebirthed. I can receive a robe of righteousness that Jesus Christ becomes to me. He becomes this to me. He becomes righteousness to me. I can, I can be qualified to be a part of this heavenly host living in this villa in heaven with the family of God for eternity. There's, there's a divine invitation, look. Look, it's much better than the American dream. Forget the American dream. It's an eternal kingdom where there is no sin and where Jesus Christ reigns supreme. But if you won't let him reign supreme now, you can't become a part of that kingdom. He's the king of that kingdom. He's the way, the truth, and the life. If you haven't received him, receive him today. And if you have received him, oh my, give praise and thanksgiving as we now as we now participate together in our observance of the Lord's Supper. It's wonderful, and we have here physical material elements, physical material elements that represent symbolically for us the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I've studied theology for years and years and years, and I've never been able to wrap my brain around God assuming human flesh, how God could do that. How the Creator could become a creature. I haven't figured that one out. But God Himself came. And then how God could die, and yet God would not die at the same time. But that's, that's, that's the Trinity involved in that. God the Son died. And the sacrifice was presented to God the Father, who received it and accepted it. And the proof of that acceptance was His resurrection from the dead on the third day. So what we are doing is we are celebrating the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We're not celebrating elements that are going to save us or cleanse us or do anything spiritually for us. We are through an ordinance that Jesus gave to us. Symbolically in our minds we're going back to Calvary, to the cross of Jesus Christ. We're going back there and we're reviewing his humanity and the giving of his body in a sacrificial crucifixion death for our sins. We're reviewing in our minds the piercing of his side, the, 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 the nailing of his hands and feet to the cross, the shedding of his blood as an atonement, the pouring out of his life in order that he might die for our sins. The, the wages of sin is death. So we're here now profoundly, profoundly to give thanks and praise and to just call to mind the fact that if this, this is the focus of all of God's redemptive work in all of history and it's the focus of God's redemptive work in our life, life has never been the same. It's the beginning of new life when we receive Christ. It's been the focus, the person of Christ. He is our life and he is the one who is coming back again to receive us unto himself. And so, 
we have for us, we have the bread and we have the cup. I want to ask Pastor Kelly to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was given so wonderfully, so lovingly, in that awful crucifixion death for our sins on the cross. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ and the giving of himself, the giving of his body on his death on the cross. We thank you for his sacrifice for us. We thank you for his coming in the manger that we celebrate at Christmas and his giving his life and his body and his heart and his mind and his soul on the cross. I pray that you'll bless us as we receive this in Jesus' name. Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then again we read, after the same manner also he took the cup, gave also of it to his disciples, to know that all sin has been atoned and forgiven and were justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. Wow. What a truth. Pastor Pelletier, let's thank God, please. Father, we are so grateful for what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You said in Scripture that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And Jesus was willing to shed his blood for us. Thank you for the cleansing power that is found in it, for the efficacy of it, for the wonder of it, for the power that's found in the blood. We pray, Lord, that you help us to remember this and to live our lives in obedience to the one who's done so much for us. Thank you for our salvation through the blood of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant. That means an unchangeable contract. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for our great Savior. Thank you that it is not through the works of the flesh, not through the works of man, not through rites and rituals. Thank you that you provided your own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. How could you do it? We don't know that, but you did. And because of that, we have this tremendous, joyful certainty of eternal life. In and through his death, burial, and resurrection, and tied in as a covenant through the promise of his eternal word. Give us great joy, make us a light to our dark world. Give us, Lord, a shining testimony in our neighborhood. Give us, Lord, a witness of the saving power of Jesus Christ as we go about our lives. Thank you for this, the Lord's day, for your presence with us, for the truth in which we stand, the truth of your word eternal, 
founded in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Creator and our Redeemer. May this be a day of great joy, great blessing, we pray now in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.